Welcome to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast brought to you by SME Strategy. Our goal on the Strategy and Leadership Podcast is to bring you practical and actionable tools that you can implement with your teams right away. My name is Anthony Taylor and I'll be your host. Each episode, I'll interview a senior leader or a thought leader that will help you elevate your ability to lead people and drive your organization's strategy forward. Our partner is Cascade Strategy. They're our favorite tool for tracking and executing strategic plans, providing visibility for your entire team, and helping everybody have insight into where you're going and what you need to do to get there. If you're looking to improve your strategy execution, visit smestrategy.net slash cascade for a link for a free 90-day trial so you can see for yourself if you enjoy it and it helps your team move forward. So with that, I want to thank you again for joining us, and we'll get into today's guest. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. My guest today is Peter Provenzano, who is the president and CEO of Supply Corps and Empower, and was also winner of Entrepreneur of the Year, award finalist in the Midwest of 2019. Peter, how are you today? I'm well, Anthony. Good afternoon. How are you doing? Nice to be here. I'm excited to be here. We got to talk a little bit about Chicago sports a little bit. So, you know, you've already got my my heart connection here, but maybe you can tell our listeners a little bit about you, a little bit about your background, and then we'll we'll dive into the interview. I was born and raised in in, in Rockford, Illinois. Spent a little time in Cleveland after college, came back to our family business, then was called Pro Technical Products. Today is is called Supply Corps, married. Yeah. We have four children, uh, one in college, two in high school, and one about to head off to high school next year. Well, congratulations on being a soon-to-be empty nester. Tell me a little bit about your journey as an entrepreneur. It's been an incredibly satisfying journey, one where I've needed to learn how to uh, compartmentalize successfully. I often think about my, you know, my life like a, and, and my work like a, a wall of shelves with shoe boxes on them. And, you know, you got to take one down, get into it and put that shoe box back on the shelf while you go get to something else. It's a long haul. So you have to, you know, develop the, the patience and the temperament for that long haul. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to develop planning processes and efforts that support that long haul. So uh, those are the kinds of things that we've really tried to do uh, at Supply Corps and in our related businesses. I came back really shortly after college to to the family business. We were a a small business of of 12 people, a few million dollars in revenue. And and I really had, was fortunate to have one primary charge from my parents. And that was figure out what we're going to do next. That was really the first part of the part of the journey trying to find a way for the organization to be to get on more stable ground. It was already through that initial over the first hump, if you will, of you know, revenue and, and getting north of a million dollars in revenue. You know, that, that startup hurdle really was accomplished by, by my mom and dad. Uh, so it was just really getting it ready to scale and, and try to, to, to grow. So it was a great opportunity. So you spoke a little bit about compartmentalizing and putting stuff in boxes. What was it like 
going into your family business, and we have a lot of entrepreneurs here that work with family and, you know, cause that's most businesses are family businesses. What was it like having to lead the strategic charge in this business and then add on to the fact that you are both uh, a son and brother and into all of that mix? What were some of the challenges that you had to face and what were some of the lessons, practical lessons that you uh, took away and could share? I think early on, I was, I was full of ideas. My parents still had some regular daily work to do for the the legacy business. And I think I was driving them nuts with all the ideas, frankly. So they uh, actually got me a resource, uh, the head of the MBA program at the time, a founder of the MBA program at Rockford University, Jeff Farenwald. And he kind of became my mentor and and somebody that I could, my, my sounding board. So I was pretty fortunate to have a resource like that. We started working on visions, visioning together and I identifying key performance indicators for, for our vision, revenue per associate thresholds that we wanted to get to, average transaction values, where are we going to take this business? And candidly, I was really interested. I knew with the advent, the rise of the internet and the worldwide web that we'd have this real decentralized ability for empowerment, requisitioning, things like that, with the ability to still have a real centralized or centralized data repository to be able to analyze and report on. And, and our business at the time was a supplier of mechanical components to the aerospace and defense industry, primarily the military, primarily fasteners. My father was a mechanical engineer. And we had started doing some things for some commercial organizations, the division of Raytheon at the time um, that made rock crushers and pavers. And so we had gone from a supplier of fasteners into App, the Case Corporation, another example of a company we worked with, we'd gone from a supplier of, of fasteners to a supplier of aftermarket components for certain industries, and in some cases, a supplier of production components. And we would continually try to go on and, and sell that uh, service, that one-stop shop, that sole source for engineered requirements, components that went on something, either at production or in the aftermarket realm. They would always say to us, well, we, you know, you, you can quote this blueprint, but we're not going to give you all of these things. But if you want to, w- would you like to have our indirect? You know, well, what's the indirect? Well, the indirect spends something that burdens the purchasing department and, you know, takes a lot of time away from uh, the, the important stuff that we need to buy. So uh, we were introduced commercially to this notion of integrated supply. And, and uh, it leveraged those things that I had learned about the internet and it started envisioning in terms of how, how, how procurement could take place. And uh, that's where we were going to head. We were going to be done with the federal government and um, not because it wasn't a, a good business to be in, just because it was something at the time that I really didn't know much about. And uh, this is where my head was at. Then I went to a conference, a defense conference, where they were... Uh, announcing their, their their future plans. The DOD had done a great job, the U.S. Department of Defense had done a great job in the 1980s of creating a lot of competition. There were some spare parts procurement scandals, overcharging kinds of things, you know, Greek tragedies that unfolded in front of Congress sometimes. They created a ton of competition. And my parents were really the beneficiary. Uh, the federal government established a bunch of procurement technical assistance centers all over the nation. And had taught a lot of uh, small businesses how to work with them. Well, in the 90s, they decided that they had too many suppliers. 
and they began a supplier consolidation program, which is very similar to integrated supply on the commercial side. So I went, went to this conference totally prepared to hear what you know they were going to share, um, not knowing to share. But as I received the information, I came home and we got we got to do this. Uh, we have to go after these contracts, these MRO prime vendor contracts to support the military bases throughout the world. They were structured regionally, and, and we decided to go after the North Central region of the United States. One, it wasn't that wasn't too much for us to take on. No, the bases are more aligned on the coasts, and that's certainly a, a, not that it's not a big deal in the Midwest. But we didn't we knew we were this little twelve person company. We didn't want to bite off more than we could chew. So we retooled. Basically, my father and I wrote that first proposal. It was it was my first. Uh, he'd done a number of uh, smaller ones. It was certainly his biggest and my first. And and we won. It was a five year, fifty nine million dollar annual estimated value. Never did that. We never really came close to to doing that number. Those kinds of numbers. But it it did do okay. And that led to additional opportunities to support the military bases in Japan under the same contract. That was 1998 when we got our first award, and we had to scale up for that. And I, I you know, I remember calling Jeff. The, the Japan solicitation had dropped, and I remember calling Jeff Barenwald, and who's incidentally now our uh, vice president of strategy realization. So we're still together after all these years. I said, I don't think we're going to go after this Japan uh, solicitation. I think we're going to be too busy with with the North Central region. And he he said, you know, you'll probably have that pretty well implemented by the time the other one awards. You should go after it. We did, and we won. And that turned out to be a really big contract for us. It had an estimated value of about thirty something million a year, and it actually did do that. So we were we were on our way. Won a few more along the way, and ended up on the Inc. Five Hundred uh, five times in a row in the in the early two thousands, two thousand through two thousand four. It was uh, just like holding on to the wing of an airplane. So let me, I'll just jump in there. So it sounds like, because originally I was like, hey, what was it like running a family business? And it sounds like, you know, taking that process is, you know, you had your folks here and you were in a good position where they trusted you to the point where you're like, hey, like take this and run with it. You had great mentorship. And what it sounded like you had the sort of openness to bring the new method of buying. So looking at your current supply channels and saying, hey, we can take this to the next level. And the idea of being innovative, the idea of matching an opportunity and doing something different from a sales perspective, especially the government procurement was really like a game changer for you, which led to that like crazy growth. But it all started with like, hey, a willingness to both understand the core parts of the business and then also being able to take advantage of like leveraging changing forces in the market. Is that a fair sort of assumption? Absolutely. Absolutely. So let me take that idea because I love it. And I think it's important that for businesses to be successful in 2021 and beyond looking at new ways to do business. So I saw from your bio, you do a lot of work in the community. Like you give back to communities a lot. It's about impact. Absolutely. Yeah. So what are some of the things that, you know, we have new ambitious entrepreneurs, they're looking for ways. If you were in that mentorship seat, what would you want them to know in order to be able to bring that next level of success for their companies? One of the things I learned early was that older people want to help. As a young business person, as a, as a young entrepreneur, I, uh, I got a ton of value from 
a lot of folks that were older than me because I was I was new to everything. Yeah, I could pick up a book. I read Beyond Business Process Reengineering towards the Holonic Enterprise. You know that first year, and I don't know if it's a widely read book, but it was that was a pretty transformational thing for me. But more the engagement with folks that had been around for a while that had the had the wisdom, had those practical smarts that only come come with time on earth. And they want to share. And as we get older now, I mean, I still feel like that 20-something kid back then that I was then. And now I'm a little closer to, much closer to 50 than, than anything else, you know? So it's getting closer to, it's, you know, those times where we've got to, we've got to be mindful as, as we age that we, we have that same obligation. So it's interesting. So if you're a younger entrepreneur, take advantage of the people who've got a little bit more, I don't know, what is it? There's like the gray in the chin. I don't think that's an expression, but you know what I mean? Older people. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what if the flip side is reversed? Let's say you are an older business owner. You know, there's a lot of people, 60, 65, nearing that retirement stage, looking at bringing somebody like a younger family member into the business, what are some lessons or what is advice you would give to them? But what is some maybe lessons to avoid to say, okay, don't do this to your kids because they'll hate you for 15 years later or something like that. Well, business dynamics alone are challenging and family business dynamics certainly um, um, you know, raise the stakes. I think bringing in external resources, beacons, you know, it's really such as yourself on the consultative side, Relative to strategy, there's you know family business folks out there with practices in terms of counseling around family businesses. Join a peer group if there's a, or, or be part of like a Vistage or CEO project, things like that. Engage with family business centers at universities would be another opportunity. Uh, a lot of universities have family business centers. So there's a ton of resources out there around, around family business business. But certainly it's, uh, I think the key is to really understand the, the dynamics inside the organization, you know, who's in charge, especially as the, as, as the organization scales. Any key learnings that you went through that you're like, oh man, like here's a story I have of like when my. Well, in our experience, our experience is unique. I mean, every family business experience I think is unique. Ours was one where when I came back, I came into something that was established but small and it grew extraordinarily rapid. I think that's a very different scenario than coming into a generational family business that's that's well established and, and you know there's just a lot more structure. We were putting all sorts of structure in place everywhere all at the same time. And uh it's tough. It was tough. Well, I could see that being a challenge because I know that like when I work with senior leaders and they have like the way they've been doing it for a while, you know, and they've been around the block, they know what works. And then you have, you know, some young punk, so to speak, whether that's a guy like me, whether that's their son or daughter, like saying, hey, here's like, hey, I just came, I'm hot off my MBA press. We should put this processes in. We should put an org chart. We should do all these things. And it's met with resistance. Did you find that it was, was it met with resistance and were you able to overcome it? Or was everything like pretty widely accepted because, you know, that's why you were there? Like, what was your, and, and I ask because it is different for everybody, but I think that there's some shared experience to glean from that. You have the, you have the dynamics of the business and you have the dynamics of the family. And I, 
I really poured myself into the dynamics of the business. I remember when you know Jeff and I came back with our first sort of multi-year revenue projections and the family's like, there's no way we can do that. And then we did or came close. You know, you don't, you, you set a target, you might be shooting for the stars. It's okay to land on the moon. So I really kind of poured my time into navigating the business component of the ship because it was moving so fast. So I went from Jeff, really, he, he came on as our chief operating officer in kind of a different position than being an external mentor. And uh, I joined a peer group. And that really became, you know, I was now sitting at a table on a quarterly basis around a table with CEOs of similarly sized businesses, uh, 50 million to a few hundred million. And, you know, going to boot camp every quarter, had to go prepare, started not only presenting our financial picture and our goal map or our decision blueprint, but I started seeing theirs. I started this really rapid learning effect when you're seeing multiple businesses in a similar format. So we, we, we were provided a few templates, goal maps and x-rays, and uh, we would come either present on, everybody would do an x-ray every quarter. And it was a tremendously reflective thing and a lot of work. There was different components to, 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 to an x-ray. You would sort of have your cliff notes section, your business highlights, these brief summaries, and then you would have key milestones, almost your balance scorecard, if you will, objectives area. And then we would have the triangle balance sheet, which really came from the goal map. Our strategy was really organized in, in triangle format back then. You know, that was the methodology we were using. We had business segments on one side, processes on another, and then sort of the environment on the bottom, internal and external. And, and then there was a, a, a section on on you, sort of your quarterly focus areas. This is what you said you were going to do. This is what you did. Areas of constraint in the business, you, you know, list a primary, a secondary, and a tertiary constraint. And then we would look at ourselves through the lens of roles. You know, how did I spend my time that forth in terms of being a player, a coach, an architect, strategist? We've since added learner. I'm not in the peer group anymore, but uh, and then there was a section called other that was really for wellness. And there was a big component of balance. So I'm this 20 something kid in this position with this business. And right away, I'm learning about balance, which you know I was pretty fortunate to, to be in that kind of a spot. You know, I'd probably be in far worse health today if I hadn't gotten those kinds of messages early. Because it's definitely it's definitely a lot of stre- uh, stress, and then we'd go around the room with clarifying questions and, and feedback. Later on in a in a session, you might provide a decision blueprint or you might update a goal map. And I would work really hard on this for several weeks before I got to the peer group meetings, and I would tax the team. and And I saw this tremendous correlation between the goal map and the X ray for sure, and all this work that the organization was already doing. And I'm going around on a quarterly basis, sort of like folks do in transformation today, right? I mean, they, they have this quarterly event. And I'm like, why are we doing it this way? This is a lot of work for me. And why wouldn't I want to know this as the quarter unfolds and as it happens? So in the early 2000s, we started building our first web-based strategy execution software. I was the only one in the peer group that used it. 
for forever uh, and uh, never really got any any other takers back then. Since then, obviously, strategy execution software has has become a thing. We always had a vision of of doing it not just for ourselves but but for others. And it took a it took a long time to get there. That's what Empower is today. We now do um, provide our our strategy execution tools to other organizations. But it wouldn't have ever probably happened had I not been in that peer group and had been provided those kinds of those kinds of resources. So having that, you know, it was almost like my external board at the time. It was very different than, than, than YPO. So I was also in Young President's organization. I had that support infrastructure as well. The YPO can be business, family, or personal when you make presentations, but this was all, this was all strictly business. Well, I really like that. So it's just, again, so much good stuff there, but I found it very interesting that when you like entered the organization, the company, you sort of stayed in your own lane. You know, like you really focused on the business, you focused on what you needed to focus on. And then you like dug in and it's really what I heard, like that rapid learning, the reflecting, then you used a couple interesting visuals. So one of them was the, the reflecting, like looking back. The other was the x-ray, like looking through, you use the goal map, which is like guiding it. And then you had the blueprint. So all of these great visuals that you're like looking to, but everything focuses on the business itself. And that you sort of got out of the family noise and, you know, however your family is, I'm doing a renovation right now. My father-in-law is the general contractor. I wish I could just focus on the, on the business stuff. It's just not working, but, but that's what you did. And then you were able to, again, leverage that strength of having mentorship, having that peer group. And, you know, just like a, from my perspective, you might not have even noticed how much progress you are making quarter by quarter. Cause you sort of just say like, oh yeah, I did these things. But these are huge leaps that you're taking every quarter, but you can't see it. And I imagine, and you can sort of confirm that or not, like those quarterly leaps, I imagine they were transformational in their own way every time you did it. Yeah. And, and, and I think having a plan, monitoring the plan, you know, we, we do something here called uh, a long-form vision. I wasn't familiar candidly with vivid vision until I listened to your presentation. And, uh, but it's very similar to, it's very similar to that. Just kind of, there's no original ideas ever. So I wasn't surprised to see something like that out there where we really are taking, we, we go way past what that final paragraph's going to be. Uh, and, and we marry that with a long form math model. So if this is all the destinations in the vision, how's the math shake out to get there? If we say we're going to, Win this much business a year. How many contract? How many solicitations do we have to win at an average dollar value of this? How many do we have to bid if we're only going to win maybe thirty percent of? You know, how many do we think we're going to win? And so you, we, you know, we built out uh, this long form math model. So the long form vision and the long form math model get up, get embedded at various levels in the strategic plan. They don't end up in the vision statement. They don't all end up in the global KPIs. Go ahead. Is this all in, like, do you have that all embedded within the Empower model? The, the long form vision would just be an, uh, something you would do on the front side of, 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 of input for sure. That's not embedded in, but you can, you know, you can put the long form vision in and then cut and edit it out into the you know, various target states of say the strategies or segments or sub segments for sure. 
But I guess what my point was really is I, I found a way, I think our organization in the rough years, the years where we weren't grow, where we'd say, we've had this sort of lumpy trajectory where we grow really fast, we plateau, we wonder if we're ever going to grow again, and then we grow fast again. That's It's happened a couple of different times in our business span of life so far. The faith that you can have in your plan when there's not much faith to have in the financial statements, because they're not moving like you hoped they would, but you're working your plan, you're breaking it down, you're, you're monitoring it's the execution, you're making adjustments to it as realities unfold. And, and it's, it really becomes a form of a compass, uh, really, to take you through times when you, if you were only looking at the financial statements, you might be a little lost. So I know that we've talked about, and I got a little bit more time here, and I know we could talk for a very long time about strategy and all things execution, but again, another visual of the compass. So, you know, you're somebody who's been very successful business for a long time and super community, super important to you. You wear two different CEO hats and then probably a couple different hats. I'm going to ask you a question I've never asked anybody else. As it relates to leadership, what do the pictures and symbols behind you like everything on your mantle. And if you're listening on the podcast, you can't see the mantle. So subscribe on YouTube. But what does what's on your shelf behind you? How does that tie into you as a CEO, your mindset as a CEO, your mindset as a leader? And if there's one thing in particular, feel free to call it out. But there's a lot of cool well, stuff on there. Over my, I guess, over my right shoulder are albums, records. My, my office is also like my, my listening room, my music room. Music and business are, are similar in that particularly with jam bands and, and jazz, nothing set in stone, right? We're improvising together. We're making music together and, and uh, we're working off of sheet of music, but we may have to go off road at some point too. I think music's a metaphor. It's also balance for sure. A lot of work gets done in here, but there's also some, there's also some leisure as well. There's a lot of books. I used to read a lot more. I find myself listening more either to podcasts or Audible these days. Yeah, there's things from the community, some things relative to the business. You know, my very first business that I was involved with, there's an item up there called Wolf Straps. And, and it was during the Rodney King days and had a uh, just sort of an entrepreneurial side, uh, side story here. And one of my... Uh, College buddy's father was a police officer and it was around the time of Rodney King, and he had developed this line of soft restraints. And so they were made out of ballistics, nylon, and Velcro and D-ring. So it wasn't like a hard metal handcuff. There were traveler handcuffs. There was there were bed restraints. Um, there were body cuffs for takedown kind of things. And it was all very humane and machine washable. And I brought these home. I, I uh, brought them home to my father. We bought the master distributor rights uh, for the country. And I skipped a trip to Europe for the summer and started going to correctional facilities and counties and went to Cook County in Chicago, uh, went and visited with police chiefs and ambulatory companies for the bed restraints and started launching a business instead of taking a, a trip for the summer. So that's, you know, it's pretty meaningful to me. It, it started to realize what I wanted to do. And the feelings that I wanted to get from what I wanted. Um, it wasn't necessarily just the wolf straps. There's lots of different things in business that can excite you. I was able to learn at an early, relatively early age what I, what I 
Awesome. Well, I think it's, you know, what a great lesson learned about business is that sometimes you need to improvise. Sometimes you need to, you know, just follow your heart and do what's there. And then also like support people in the community around you as you grow. So I think there's a lot of lessons learned there. Really appreciate the time today, Peter. Can you tell people where they can learn more about Supply Corps, about Empower and how they can get in touch with you moving forward? Our website, supplycore.com, S-U-P-P-L-Y-C-O-R-E and empower.com, M-P-O-W-R or Empower in Vision. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Peter. It's been a blast chatting with you. I know we could talk more, but we'll definitely uh, have you on again. Look forward to doing it again. Thanks so much, Anthony. Appreciate it. Thanks, Peter. My guest today has been Peter Provenzano, who is the president and CEO of Supply Corps and Empower. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to like and subscribe and share. And thanks so much for joining us. And we'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. Before you go, I wanted to make sure that you knew about our signature course that will help you better align your team and get them bought into your strategic plan. It's presented really simply that whether you're a seasoned veteran or brand new to strategic planning, it'll help you better understand it. It'll help your team think more strategically and it'll help you better prioritize and set goals. Ultimately, it's gonna give you a plan that you can execute successfully. Because you have no idea how many plans that I see that look good, but are missing key components to make them successful. And we cover all of those missteps in the course. On top of all the video training, you'll get access to all of our workbooks and access to our knowledge base and community. The course is only $4.95 and you can get instant access to all of the videos. Plus, you can use the code podcast for $100 off. The course comes with a 100% money back guarantee. If you don't get value from the course, let us know and we'll give you all of your money back. So go to smestrategy.net slash course. Use the code podcast for $100 off. And I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to support you and your team in getting alignment and moving your strategic plan forward. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next time.